0: chapter twenty one of cousin betty by Honoré de balzac translated by james waring this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by bruce Peery. chapter twenty one shod in prunella boots over gray silk stockings in a gown of handsome corded silk her hair in smooth bands under a very pretty black velvet bonnet lined with yellow satin lisbeth made her way to the rue saint-dominique by the boulevard des invalides wondering whether sheer dejection would at last break down hortense's brave spirit and whether sarmatian instability taken at a moment when with such a character everything is possible would be too much for steinbock's constancy hortense and wenceslas had the ground floor of a house situated at the corner of the rue saint-dominique and the esplanade des invalides these rooms once in harmony with the honeymoon now had that half-new, half-faded look that may be called the autumnal aspect of furniture. Newly-married folks are as lavish and wasteful, without knowing it or intending it, of everything about them as they are of their affection, thinking only of themselves, they wreck little of the future, which at a later time weighs on the mother of a family. Lisbeth found Hortense just as she had finished dressing a baby Venceslas, who had been carried into the garden. "'Good morning, Betty,' said Hortense, opening the door herself to her cousin. The cook was gone out and the house-servant, who was also the nurse, was doing some washing. "'Good morning, dear child,' replied Lisbeth, kissing her. "'Is Wenceslas in the studio?' she added in a whisper. "'No, he is in the drawing-room, talking to Stidman and Schoenard can we be alone asked lisbeth come into my room in this room the hangings of pink-flowered chintz with green leaves on a white ground constantly exposed to the sun were much faded as was the carpet the muslin curtains had not been washed for many a day the smell of tobacco hung about the room for wenceslas now an artist of repute and born a fine gentleman Left his cigar ash on the arms of the chairs and the prettiest pieces of furniture, as a man does to whom love allows everything, a man rich enough to scorn vulgar carefulness. Now then, let us talk over your affairs, said Lisbeth, seeing her pretty cousin silent in the armchair into which she had dropped. But what ails you? You look rather pale, my dear two articles have just come out in which my poor Venceslas is pulled to pieces i have read them but i have hidden them from him for they would completely depress him the marble statue of marshal montcornet is pronounced utterly bad the bas-reliefs are allowed to pass muster simply to allow of the most perfidious praise of his talent as a decorative artist and to give the greater emphasis to the statement that serious art is quite out of his reach stidman whom i besought to tell me the truth broke my heart by confessing that his own opinion agreed with that of every other artist of the critics and the public he said to me in the garden before breakfast if wenceslas cannot exhibit a masterpiece next season he must give up heroic sculpture and be content to execute idyllic subjects small figures pieces of jewelry and high-class goldsmiths work this verdict is dreadful to me for wenceslas i know will never accept it he feels he has so many fine ideas ideas will not pay the tradesman's bills remarked lisbeth i was always telling him so nothing but money money is only to be had for work done things that ordinary folks like well enough to buy them when an artist has to live and keep a family he had far better have a design for a candlestick on his counter or for a fender or a table than for groups or statues everybody must have such things while he may wait months for the admirer of the group and for his money you are right my good lisbeth tell him all that i have not the courage besides as he was saying to Stidman, if he goes back to ornamental work and small sculpture he must give up all hope of the institute and grand works of art and we should not get the three hundred thousand francs worth of work promised at versailles and by the city of paris and the ministers that is what we are robbed of by those dreadful articles written by rivals who want to step into our shoes and that is not what you dreamed of poor little puss said lisbeth kissing hortense on the brow you expected to find a gentleman a leader of art the chief of all living sculptors but that is poetry you see a dream requiring fifty thousand francs a year and you have only two thousand four hundred so long as i live after my death three thousand a few tears rose to hortense's eyes and lisbeth drank them with her eyes as a cat laps milk this is the story of their honeymoon the tale will perhaps not be lost on some artists intellectual work labor in the upper regions of mental effort is one of the grandest achievements of man that which deserves real glory in art for by art we must understand every creation of the mind is courage above all things a sort of courage of which the vulgar have no conception and which has never perhaps been described till now driven by the dreadful stress of poverty goaded by lisbeth and kept by her in blinders as a horse is to hinder it from seeing to the right and left of its road lashed on by that hard woman the personification of necessity a sort of deputy fate wenceslas a born poet and dreamer had gone on from conception to execution and overleaped without sounding it the gulf that divides these two hemispheres of art to muse to dream to conceive of fine works is a delightful occupation it is like smoking a magic cigar or leading the life of a courtesan who follows her own fancy the work then floats in all the grace of infancy in the mad joy of conception with the fragrant beauty of a flower and the aromatic juices of a fruit enjoyed in anticipation the man who can sketch his purpose beforehand in words is regarded as a wonder and every artist and writer possesses that faculty but gestation fruition the laborious rearing of the offspring putting it to bed every night full fed with milk embracing it anew every morning with the inexhaustible affection of a mother's heart licking it clean dressing it a hundred times in the richest garb only to be instantly destroyed then never to be cast down at the convulsions of this headlong life till the living masterpiece is perfected which in sculpture speaks to every eye in literature to every intellect in painting to every memory in music to every heart this is the task of execution the hand must be ready at every instant to come forward and obey the brain but the brain has no more a creative power at command than love has a perennial spring the habit of creativeness the indefatigable love of motherhood which makes a mother that miracle of nature which raphael so perfectly understood the maternity of the brain in short which is so difficult to develop is lost with prodigious ease inspiration is the opportunity of genius she does not indeed dance on the razor's edge. She is in the air and flies away with the suspicious swiftness of a crow. She wears no scarf by which the poet can clutch her. Her hair is aflame. She vanishes like the lovely rose and white flamingo, the sportsman's despair. And work, again, is a wearyful struggle, alike dreaded and delighted in by these lofty and powerful natures who are often broken by it a great poet of our day has said in speaking of this overwhelming labour i sit down to it in despair but i leave it with regret be it known to all who are ignorant if the artist does not throw himself into his work as curtius sprang into the gulf as a soldier leads a forlorn hope without a moment's thought and if when he is in the crater he does not on as a miner does when the earth has fallen in on him if he contemplates the difficulties before him instead of conquering them one by one like the lovers in fairy tales who to win their princesses overcome ever new enchantments the work remains incomplete it perishes in the studio where creativeness becomes impossible and the artist looks on at the suicide of his own talent rossini a brother genius to raphael is a striking instance in his poverty-stricken youth compared with his latter years of opulence this is the reason why the same prize the same triumph the same bays are awarded to great poets and to great generals wenceslas by nature a dreamer had expended so much energy in production in study and in work under lisbeth's despotic rule that love and happiness resulted in reaction his real character reappeared the weakness recklessness and indolence of the sarmatian returned to nestle in the comfortable corners of his soul whence the schoolmaster's rod had routed them for the first few months the artist adored his wife hortense and wenceslas abandoned themselves to the happy childishness of a legitimate and unbounded passion Hortense was the first to release her husband from his labours, proud to triumph over her rival, his art. And indeed a woman's caresses scare away the muse, and break down the sturdy, brutal resolution of the worker. Six or seven months slipped by, and the artist's fingers had forgotten the use of the modelling tool. When the need for work began to be felt, when the prince de Wissembourg, president of the committee of subscribers, asked to see the statue, Wenceslas spoke the inevitable byword of the idler, I am just going to work on it, and he lulled his dear Hortense with fallacious promises and the magnificent schemes of the artist as he smokes. Hortense loved her poet more than ever. She dreamed of a sublime statue of Marshal Montcornet Montcornet would be the embodied ideal of bravery, the type of the cavalry officer, of courage a la mourra. Yes, yes, at the mere sight of that statue all the emperor's victories were to seem a foregone conclusion, and then such workmanship the pencil was accommodating and answered to the word by way of a statue the result was a delightful little wenceslas when the progress of affairs required that he should go to the studio at le gros Caillou to mold the clay and set up the life-size model Steinbach found one day that the prince's clock required his presence in the workshop of florent and chenor where the figures were being finished or again the light was gray and dull to-day he had business to do to-morrow they had a family dinner to say nothing of indispositions of mind and body and the days when he stayed at home to toy with his adored wife marshal the prince de wissembourg was obliged to be angry to get the clay model finished he declared that he must put the work into other hands it was only by dint of endless complaints and much strong language that the committee of subscribers succeeded in seeing the plaster cast. Day after day Steinbach came home, evidently tired, complaining of this hodman's work and his own physical weakness. During that first year the household felt no pinch. The Countess Steinbach, desperately in love with her husband, cursed the war minister she went to see him she told him that great works of art were not to be manufactured like cannon, and that the state like louis the fourteenth francis the first and leo the tenth ought to be at the beck and call of genius poor hortense believing she held a phidias in her embrace had the sort of motherly cowardice for her Venceslas that is in every wife who carries her love to the pitch of idolatry do not be hurried said she to her husband our whole future life is bound up with that statue take your time and produce a masterpiece she would go to the studio and then the enraptured steinbach wasted five hours out of seven in describing the statue instead of working at it he thus spent eighteen months in finishing the design which to him was all-important when the plaster was cast and the model complete poor hortense who had looked on at her husband's toil seeing his health really suffer from the exertions which exhaust a sculptor's frame and arms and hands hortense thought the result admirable her father who knew nothing of sculpture and her mother no less ignorant lauded it as a triumph the war minister came with them to see it and overruled by them expressed approval of the figure Standing as it did alone in a favorable light thrown up against a green baize background Alas at the exhibition of 1841 the disapprobation of the public soon took the form of abuse and Mockery in the mouths of those who were indignant with the idol too hastily set up for worship Stidman tried to advise his friend, but was accused of jealousy Every article in a newspaper was, to Hortense, an outcry of envy. Stidman, the best of good fellows, got articles written in which adverse criticism was contravened, and it was pointed out that sculptors altered their works in translating the plaster into marble, and that the marble would be the test. In reproducing the plaster sketch in marble, wrote Claude Vignon, a masterpiece may be ruined, or a bad design made beautiful. The plaster is the manuscript the marble is the book so in two years and a half wenceslas had produced a statue and a son the child was a picture of beauty the statue was execrable the clock for the prince and the price of the statue paid off the young couple's debts Steinbach had acquired fashionable habits he went to the play to the opera he talked admirably about art and in the eyes of the world he maintained his reputation as a great artist by his powers of conversation and criticism there are many clever men in paris who spend their lives in talking themselves out and are content with a sort of drawing-room celebrity steinbock emulating these emasculated but charming men grew every day more averse to hard work as soon as he began a thing he was conscious of all its difficulties and the discouragement that came over him enervated his will inspiration the frenzy of intellectual procreation flew swiftly away at the sight of this effete lover sculpture like dramatic art is at once the most difficult and the easiest of all arts you have but to copy a model and the task is done but to give it a soul to make it typical by creating a man or a woman this is the sin of prometheus such triumphs in the annals of sculpture may be counted as we may count the few poets among men Michelangelo, michel colombe jean goujon phidias praxiteles Polycletes, puget canova albert durer are the brothers of milton virgil dante shakespeare tasso Homer and Moliere. And such an achievement is so stupendous that a single statue is enough to make a man immortal, as Figaro, Lovelace, and Manon Lescaut have immortalized Beaumarchais, Richardson, and the Abbe Prévost. Superficial thinkers, and there are many in the artist world, have asserted that sculpture lives only by the nude, that it died with the Greeks, and that modern vesture makes it impossible. But in the first place the ancients have left sublime statues entirely clothed, the polyhymnia, the Julia, and others, and we have not found one tenth of all their works. And then let any lover of art go to Florence and see Michelangelo's Ponseroso, or to the Cathedral of Mainz and behold the Virgin by Albert Durer who has created a living woman out of ebony under her threefold drapery with the most flowing the softest hair that ever a waiting maid combed through let all the ignorant flock thither and they will acknowledge that genius can give mind to drapery to armor to a robe and fill it with a body just as a man leaves the stamp of his individuality and habits of life on the clothes he wears sculpture is the perpetual realization of the fact which once and never again was in painting called raphael the solution of this hard problem is to be found only in constant persevering toil for merely to overcome the material difficulties to such an extent the hand must be so practised so dexterous and obedient that the sculptor may be free to struggle soul to soul with the elusive moral element that he has to transfigure as he embodies it. If Paganini, who uttered his soul through the strings of his violin, spent three days without practicing, he lost what he called the stops of his instrument, meaning the sympathy between the wooden frame, the strings, the bow, and himself. If he had lost this alliance, he would have been no more than an ordinary player. Perpetual work is the law of art, as it is the law of life, for art is idealized creation. Hence, great artists and perfect poets wait neither for commission nor for purchasers. They are constantly creating, today, tomorrow, always. The result is the habit of work the unfailing apprehension of the difficulties which keep them in close intercourse with the muse and her productive forces canova lived in his studio as voltaire lived in his study and so must homer and phidias have lived while lisbeth kept wenceslas steinbach in thraldom in his garret he was on the thorny road trodden by all these great men which leads to the alpine heights of glory then happiness in the person of hortense had reduced the poet to idleness the normal condition of all artists since to them idleness is fully occupied their joy is such as that of the pasha of a seraglio they revel with ideas they get drunk at the founts of intellect great artists such as Steinbach, rapt in reverie are rightly spoken of as dreamers they, like opium-eaters, all sink into poverty, whereas if they had been kept up to the mark by the stern demands of life, they might have been great men. At the same time, these half-artists are delightful. Men like them and cram them with praise. They even seem superior to the true artists, who are taxed with conceit, unsociableness, contempt of the laws of society. This is why, Great men are the slaves of their work. Their indifference to outer things, their devotion to their work, make simpletons regard them as egotists, and they are expected to wear the same garb as the dandy who fulfills the trivial evolutions called social duties. These men want the lions of the atlas to be combed and scented like a lady's poodle these artists who are too rarely matched to meet their fellows fall into habits of solitary exclusiveness they are inexplicable to the majority which as we know consists mostly of fools of the envious the ignorant and the superficial now you may imagine what part a wife should play in the life of these glorious and exceptional beings she ought to be what for five years lisbeth had been but with the added offering of love humble and patient love always ready and always smiling hortense enlightened by her anxieties as a mother and driven by dire necessity had discovered too late the mistakes she had been involuntarily led into by her excessive love still the worthy daughter of her mother her heart ached at the thought of worrying Venceslas. She loved her dear poet too much to become his torturer. And she could foresee the hour when beggary awaited her, her child, and her husband. Come, come, my child, said Lisbeth, seeing the tears in her cousin's lovely eyes. You must not despair. A glassful of tears will not buy a plate of soup. How much do you want? Well, five or six thousand francs i have but three thousand at the most said lisbeth and what is wenceslas doing now he has had an offer to work in partnership with stidmann at a table service for the duc de rouville for six thousand francs then monsieur Chanor will advance four thousand to repay monsieur de laura and bridau a debt of honor what you have had the money for the statue and the bas-reliefs for marshal montcornet's monument and you have not paid them yet for the last three years said hortense we have spent twelve thousand francs a year and i have but a hundred louis a year of my own the marshal's monument when all the expenses were paid brought us no more than sixteen thousand francs really and truly if Venceslas gets no work i did not know what is to become of us oh if only i could learn to make statues i would handle the clay she cried holding up her fine arms The woman, it was plain, fulfilled the promise of the girl. There was a flash in her eye. Impetuous blood, strong with iron, flowed in her veins. She felt that she was wasting her energy in carrying her infant. Ah, my poor little thing, a sensible girl should not marry an artist till his fortune is made, not while it is still to make. At this moment they heard voices stidman and wenceslas were seeing chenor to the door then wenceslas and stidman came in again stidman an artist in vogue in the world of journalists famous actresses and courtesans of the better class was a young man of fashion whom valerie much wished to see in her rooms indeed he had already been introduced to her by claude vignon stidman had lately broken off an intimacy with madame chance who had married some months since and gone to live in the country valerie and lisbeth hearing of this upheaval from claude vignon thought it well to get steinbach's friend to visit in the rue Vanneau. stidmann out of good feeling went rarely to the steinbachs and as it happened that lisbeth was not present when he was introduced by claude vignon she now saw him for the first time as she watched this noted artist she caught certain glances from his eyes at hortense which suggested to her the possibility of offering him to the countess Steinbach as a consolation if wenceslas should be false to her in point of fact stidmann was reflecting that if Steinbach were not his friend hortense the young and superbly beautiful countess would be an adorable mistress it was this very notion controlled by honor that kept him away from the house lisbeth was quick to mark the significant awkwardness that troubles a man in the presence of a woman with whom he will not allow himself to flirt very good-looking that young man she said in a whisper to hortense oh do you think so she replied i never noticed him stidman my good fellow said wenceslas in an undertone to his friend "'We are on no ceremony, you and I. "'We have some business to settle with this old girl.' "'Stidman bowed to the ladies and went away. "'It is settled,' said Wenceslas, "'when he came in from taking leave of Stidman. "'But there are six months' work to be done, "'and we must live meanwhile.' "'There are my diamonds,' cried the young countess, "'with the impetuous heroism of a loving woman. "'A tear rose in Wenceslas's eye oh i am going to work said he sitting down by his wife and drawing her on his knee i will do odd jobs a wedding-chest bronze groups but my children said lisbeth for as you know you will be my heirs and i shall leave you a very comfortable sum believe me especially if you help me to marry the marshal nay if we succeed in that quickly i will take you all to board with me you and adeline we should live very happily together but for the moment listen to the voice of my long experience do not fly to the mont de pieté it is the ruin of the borrower i have always found that when the interest was due those who had pledged their things had nothing wherewith to pay up and then all is lost i can get you a loan at five per cent on your note of hand oh we are saved said hortense well then child wenceslas had better come with me to see the lender who will oblige him at my request it is Madame marneffe if you flatter her a little for she is as vain as a parvenu she will get you out of the scrape in the most obliging way come yourself and see her my dear hortense hortense looked at her husband with the expression a man condemned to death must wear on his way to the scaffold Claude vignon took stidman there said wenceslas he says it is a very pleasant house hortense's head fell what she felt can only be expressed in one word it was not pain it was illness but my dear hortense you must learn something of life exclaimed lisbeth understanding the eloquence of her cousin's looks otherwise like your mother you will find yourself abandoned in a deserted room where you will weep like calypso on the departure of ulysses and at an age when there is no hope of telemachus she added repeating a jest of madame we have to regard the people in the world as tools which we can make use of or let alone according as they can serve our turn make use of madame marneffe now my dears and let her alone by and by are you afraid lest wenceslas who worships you should fall in love with a woman four or five years older than himself as yellow as a bundle of field peas and i would far rather pawn my diamonds said hortense oh never go there wenceslas it is hell hortense is right said Steinbach, kissing his wife thank you my dearest said hortense delighted my husband is an angel you see lisbeth he does not gamble he goes nowhere without me if he only could stick to work oh i should be too happy why take us on show to my father's mistress a woman who is ruining him and is the cause of troubles that are killing my heroic mother my child that is not where the cause of your father's ruin lies It was his singer who ruined him, and then your marriage," replied her cousin. Bless me! Why, Madame Marneffe is of the greatest use to him. However, I must tell no tales. You have a good word for everybody, dear Betty. Hortense was called into the garden by hearing the child cry. Lisbeth was left alone with Wenceslas. "'You have an angel for your wife, Wenceslas,' said she. "'Love her as you ought. Never give her cause for grief.' "'Yes, indeed, I love her so well that I do not tell her all,' replied Wenceslas. "'But to you, Lisbeth, I may confess the truth. "'If I took my wife's diamonds to the Mont de Pieté, "'we should be no further forward.' "'Then borrow of Madame Marneffe,' said Lisbeth persuade hortense wenceslas to let you go there or else bless me go there without telling her that is what i was thinking of replied wenceslas when i refused for fear of grieving hortense listen to me i care too much for you both not to warn you of your danger if you go there hold your heart tight in both hands for the woman is a witch all who see her adore her She is so wicked, so inviting. She fascinates men like a masterpiece. Borrow her money, but do not leave your soul in pledge. I should never be happy again if you were false to Hortense. Here she is. Not another word. I will settle the matter. Kiss Lisbeth, my darling," said Venceslas to his wife. She will help us out of our difficulties by lending us her savings, and he gave Lisbeth a look which she understood then i hope you mean to work my dear treasure said hortense yes indeed said the artist i will begin to-morrow to-morrow is our ruin said his wife with a smile now my dear child say yourself whether some hindrance has not come in the way every day some obstacle or business yes very true my love here cried steinbach striking his brow here i have swarms of ideas i mean to astonish all my enemies i am going to design a service in the german style of the sixteenth century the romantic style foliage twined with insects sleeping children newly invented monsters chimeras real chimeras such as we dream of i see it all it will be undercut light and yet crowded Chanor was quite amazed and I wanted some encouragement for the last article on Montcornet's monument had been crushing at a moment in the course of the day when lisbeth and wenceslas were left together the artist agreed to go on the morrow to see Madame Marneffe he either would win his wife's consent or he would go without telling her chapter twenty one